What gives you the right? Well, I am a ticking time bomb of fury. This can't be happening, man. This isn't happening. You could see it. Well, what if there is no tomorrow? So stop melting, ladies, because the boy is hotter than hot. I'm the best chance you've got. Okay, thank you for joining us. This month's topic is the white picket fence. And I think we kind of settled on this. I've always loved the symbology of the white picket fence, even before, or I mean, I would even argue still, I it's not like I have the clearest conception about what the white picket fence specifically means to me right but we're all familiar with it in some way and it's a it's a huge it's a hugely common trope across many facets right across many hugely common huge what did i say oh, you said hugely common it just made me laugh oh hugely. it's hugely common hugely but so I think what God, what God is talking about this was kind of specifically the white picket fence as it came to stand for like a version of the American dream, right? And so like what's the first concept that like whenever I first asked you about this topic, like what was the first thing that came to mind whenever I said, hey, what do you think about white picket fence? Like what's the first thing that comes to my mind when I hear white picket fence? Yes, a nice you. house, middle-class family, dad with a good job, and they're all happy. Kind of what I would argue is the leave it to beaver yeah. family, right? It's like, you know, there's mischief that goes on in this neighborhood, but the white picket fence is still respected, you know, mm-hmm. even though it doesn't prevent anything Typically, like, I think of a white picket fence and I think of, like, a four-foot nothing fence that's, like, has spaced out pickets, right? That's yeah, at least what I picture. not it's a very decorative. good fence. Yeah, it's decorative. It's a decorative it fence. It literally only stands as a symbol. As decor. And defining sense. your own private property. Right. It does act as a boundary. A uh, visual boundary. Yeah. And so, I guess we could just, like, jump in. I mean, we're already kind of a little bit into the topic. But, like, to me, the white picket fence is a symbol of the suburbs. I think it is middle class. Middle class. But specifically, a symbol of the, like, Pleasantville neighborhood, right? The um, archetypical neighborhood with sidewalks. Right, that the children are allowed to play on, and then each individual house is, you know, private property that you need permission in order to enter. Right, and so you got these fences around or whatever. But I just think of like a stereotypical uh, mid-century um, neighborhood, white, right? Probably very white and rich and pristine i don't think it's a coincidence that it's a white picket fence right right yeah probably yeah because if you're going back to symbolism it does represent innocence and purity and whiteness while we're talking about that do you know why it is a white picket fence i don't would you like to tell me so the white color comes from a colonial technique for like preserving wood Mm. where you would take lime and water and wipe down wood with it and it would leave a white residue Hmm. is it well yeah i mean do some people call it like lime washing they call it white white washing okay but it is a lime material that you are like the white wash yeah is lime and water okay i i've heard of like white washing and whatnot i didn't realize that's what the white picket fence was because i think now i just see it painted white which is interesting that like whitewashing is also like a term yeah for when um you know people 
our characters of ethnicity are played by white character, like white actors that just dress up to be the the character of ethnicity, yeah. which is interesting. That it like carried on, right? Like I think like there that does directly have to do with a white picket fence, whitewashing, you know, and then it just so happened to become a term for Hollywood. Whenever yeah. you use like you know. Oh yeah, I don't anyway, think it's all. Anyway, that that's all super interesting. Another uh, interesting thing, the um, do you know where the word picket came from? I bet you're gonna tell me. I'll tell you. So um, it was actually picot, uh, piquet. It's a French word for literally like stake, like so a stick in the ground with a sharp point on it ended up being called a picket and they typically used them around their fortifications. And so it's interesting that the white picket fence is whitewashed wood that is uh, almost decor of a fort. Yeah. You know, like there's a military aspect. A barrier. Yeah. And yeah. sharp, right? Yeah. You don't want people hopping over it. It's supposed to be pretty, but also deterring. Yeah. Right. Um, there's definitely a lot of symbolism when it comes to, I would say, even when you just put it that way, it's like, yeah, that's America. You know what I mean? What's mine is mine. We're going to make it look really nice and there's going to be a really nice facade, but we're all chasing this thing and it's mine. And there's, there is a layer of violence. If you get on my property, we have a problem. Yeah, like there, there's a substrate of violence. Yeah, like kind of like even built into some of the like I like archetypical um, decor of our Mm -hmm. country. You know, it's like you know some people might think that that's kind of blowing it out of proportion, but I don't think like what is proportion? You know, like yeah, it's kind of the same thing that happened with the cross. You know, people wear the cross around their neck. Not knowing that, like, it would be the equivalent of wearing, like, an electric chair around your neck. Yeah. You know, it was an instrument of execution for criminals. Yeah. You know? So it's just kind of interesting whenever that... Well, this was something that I was looking into because I think with the picket fence, it becomes a myth, which is something I'm just really into is cultural mythology. And I know I've talked about it before, so I won't go too much into it. But we have these things in society that take on a new... They signify something new, I guess. is that That's how I should put it. It's a signifier, and they signify a new thing. Which then becomes a myth, and then... You can't do away with it. When something is a myth, it almost doesn't go away. It's almost like, uh, you know, like uh, an illusion. Whenever yeah. an author, like if, if for instance, I said something along the lines of, you know, not everything that looks really nice is really nice. Yeah. Like, I can't say that phrase without alluding to Shakespeare because it's so ubiquitous. You know, not all that glitters is gold. Yeah, and I think this is interesting. So, the idea of cultural mythology mythology can be traced back to Roland Barthes, who is a theorist who talked about cultural mythology. And so, he's the one who used, like, the cultural signifier signified to create a sign, which is a myth. Okay. Mm. So he says, like, myth has, in fact, a double function. It points out and it notifies. It makes us understand something and it imposes on us. Mm. So I think that's kind of interesting because we can see a white picket fence and we understand to an extent what that means, whether that's subconscious or not. Um, We can understand it, but at the same time, it's telling us what it means. Do you know what I mean? It's imposing. Yeah. In a sense. It's yeah. making sure that we are also there understanding. There is no interpretation of a white picket fence. Oh, I mean, I'm sure there are interpretations well, of I'm just it. saying, like, if I'm, like, walking down the fence and I, or, like, the street and I, like, look and see this, like, little, I could probably hop over the fence. But the fact that there's a fence there, like, shows me that I'm not supposed to be there. You know, yeah. like, that's off limits. Yeah. <laughs> we just kind of stopped. 
I thought you were going to keep going with... Uh... Well, I was waiting to see what else you were going to say. Well, yeah. Oh. Go ahead. Uh, I just think it's interesting, the idea that something is both understood and an imposition at the same time. Do you know what I mean? Well, break it down a little bit. I think I understand what you mean, but break it down a little bit. Because I like, I think I like where you're going. Okay, let me think. So, I guess to It's use, almost like flying a Trump flag. That Well, that one gets tricky, but yes, you can base all of that back to myth, for right. sure. Um, I'm trying to think. So, like, one example he gives, and it's really basic, and it's soap, right? And how soap can market itself as being luxurious. Like, some soap brands can market themselves as luxurious, right? At the end of the day, it's just soap, mm-hmm. right? But what they can do is associate themselves with um, lathering and bubbles and cleanliness and sparkly things and in doing so they make themselves a luxurious brand it's like what's that chick um i can't think of her she's in like the makeup commercials where she comes out of like a pool of gold i don't know but i, I like can Charlize i can see Theron it or something oh, I'm sure, you know? yeah. and it's just like love yourself you know or it says something stupid like that yes and all all you're seeing and then it's like oh if i get that makeup I'll be dipped in a pool of gold. Yeah, so on one hand, like Roland Bart said, it points out and it notifies. So I can make the connection between soap and cleanliness and luxury. Like, I can understand that, right? I can make that link and believe it. But at the same time, it is imposing that idea on me. Mm. It's making that connection for me right. and telling me this soap is luxurious. Right. And I'm believing it because it makes sense. And so what's really interesting is like I'm I'm really glad that you took it in this direction cuz that actually clarified some something for me. Because that's one of the things, you know, growing up in the 90s uh there was an aspect of the white picket fence mythology that is like kind of appealing to like a 10 year old. I think it's meant to be appealing yeah. because it is chasing like the middle class dream, which is the American dream. I think reaching like upper middle class is the American dream. Right. And I, and so I, I think that many people have the white picket fence as an aspiration. Well, and I mean, I think about it like specifically for me, like the white picket fence if I was just to give it a decade, it would be like the 50s, you know? Um, and I think of shows specifically like May or uh, Andy Griffith with Mayberry, right? Where the sheriff doesn't even carry a gun. Yeah. That's how safe his town is. His town is so safe that he can prepare for, for danger because – He's so insulated, right? Yeah, I feel like if you hear someone say, especially someone young, say, oh, I want to have a white picket fence when I grow up. They're not just talking about a a literal white picket fence. They're talking about that lifestyle. Yeah. And the trope is that that you like you've kind of made it you know you've like made you've, it. Yeah. You've, hit, you've hit that point where man i've got so much like i've got extra enough money to put in a really pointless white picket fence to show other people yeah. that i've got the money to dispose on yeah and every time i think of it i just think of pretty right like a house with white picket fence is going to be a pretty house because it is well taken care of enough that they put in this extra fence just as decor. Mm-hmm. So presumably they're taking care of their yard and their plants and their house and everything looks pretty. Cause I mean, it, it does cost money as, as we know, um, with our present like circumstance, you know, making your house look a certain way. Very expensive. It's expensive. Like curb appeal is expensive, especially like, you know, we're in a double wide. We just moved this thing out in the middle of a prairie, you know, but like when you really start to like talk about like, okay, what does it take to make a house look, you know, and then you like think of like a, like a, I've, I know I probably said this on the podcast before because it's so mind boggling, but 
you look at like Kevin McAllister from Home Alone and oh, that yeah. house that he lives in, and you're like, how much money did that guy make? And the dad know? was paying for them to go to Paris. No, paying for the entire family. Yeah. <laughs> cousins what was and his aunts job? and uncles. It's like, dude, that guy was smuggling children. That's <laughs> the only explanation. A banker. Smuggling children. (laughs) (laughs) No, but I do think it's funny out here because where we're at, there aren't traditional neighborhoods, so nobody actually has a white picket fence. Nobody out here really has fences other than, like, cattle fences. Well, but there are flexes. Well, that's what I was going to say. fences. What I think of... Fence flexes. Well, yeah, fence flexes, but I was even just thinking of, like, driveway... um, Oh, yeah. The the gates. Yep, your gate. You, like, we right now don't have a gate, which very much is a symbol of something, we right? We barely got a driveway. <laughs> yeah. We have a driveway put in, and that's great, but there's no gate. Right. But when you drive down the road and you see a big, giant metal gate with the name of the ranch on it and, and an like, electric you gate. You see, like, you know? rocks piled up. I mean, it's like they spent money on that entrance. And it's one of those things that, sure, I think if you would have asked me years ago— like, does that cost a lot? I would have said yes, right? Like, sure, it's metal and rocks. I'm sure that is pricey. But I never thought about it, especially in terms of status. Right. Now that I'm in the community, I understand what that means. Well, I can understand the symbolism of it. Yeah, what's really interesting, too, is, like, um, just in the vicinity recently, somebody bought one of the places and started on their house. And one of the first things they built was like a six rail pole fence, right? So if people are thinking, you know, it's like the, the, uh, it's pipe for, um, oil drilling, you know, that casing. And then they make pipe fence out of it. Well, it's like six is like extra. Yeah. You know? And so, like, when you start to see a, a house or, like, the fence going in and you see the fence, you can tell, okay, this is uh, somebody who's got a little bit of disposable income is moving yeah. into this place because and they're, they're flexing on the, on, the, on the fence. Yeah, and I was going to say a fence that is clean. Because most fences, I mean, a fence will become overgrown if not taken care of. Right. And when you have acres of fences... That's not reasonable for a family to necessarily keep it clean unless you have hired help. Right. So then again, that's another added layer of the symbol. Right, right. And so, and I think that that's one thing that like really, you know, the white picket fence, uh, ooh, this would be an interesting trope to talk about. So the white picket fence has to be maintained. The yard is mowed. The flowers are pretty. And the yeah, the fence, fence cannot be overgrown. Is maintained, yeah. And so um, I do think another symbolism that I grew up with, um, in I guess it, it would have been in the 90s, was the trope of the fallen neighborhood. The hmm. fallen suburbs, right? And I mean, think about it. Like, I think of, uh, did you ever, there's two songs, that in, two music videos that instantly come to mind whenever I think of this. I can guarantee you I did not see them. You didn't Just because I didn't it. watch but any music one, videos. One is, Unless it was Fall Out Boy. One is Freak on a Leash by Korn. No, I definitely not did not watch that. Yeah, you didn't watch that. Um, but that, like, I'm pretty sure on the cover of the album was, like, this neighborhood that's, like, gone to shit and everything's dark and everything's crumbling. And there's, like, a white picket fence with, like, some of the pickets. Yeah, which again is there on purpose, right? It is questioning this ideal that we have. It's challenging the picket fence, right? Yeah, and it's it's challenging the uh, endurance of that philosophy, right? Yeah, like how long can a suburb exist, Mm -hmm. right? How long can you give a shit that your yard looks good? Well, and how long will that be what people want? Right. Which I actually do think now it is shifting. I don't think that people are wanting less, but it's no longer the stereotypical family with kids and a big house. 
Do you know what I mean? I right. feel like that has shifted. Well, and I think it's some of it to me is it, it's kind of I think it's a growth of a country in a sense because the 1950s following the end of World War II and then Vietnam and then or Korea then Vietnam what people have got to remember is that war is only terrible for a certain class of people. War is great it's, for a lot of people classes, are making a lot of money right? off of it. Right. And so like you kind of had this factory industrial production um, apparatus that was making cars and bombs, you know, like our, our military industrial complex, that was the birth of it. They were all making tons of money and, and able to provide their workers with ridiculous benefits. Like people don't like, I don't know if, you know, young people today don't even pay attention to benefits today. But if you were to show like benefits from then to today, you know, to somebody who's paying attention, it was unreal. Like they had free healthcare a lot. I mean, I'm pretty sure a lot of the, uh, the automotive unions pretty much had free healthcare for their families, you know, through a lot of these companies. Cause they were all making bukus of money. Well, and that's know? actually what I was thinking even when you were talking about like challenging the white picket fence is that there was a point in time where the white picket fence dream was attainable. And I think now, even in the nineties, I think the reason people were starting to question it was, is it still attainable? And so I think especially now, you know, a lot of, I mean, can people even afford to buy a house right now? No, I mean, I didn't get enough time to look this up, but I know that there is a lot of data that is coming out that, you know, uh, a lot of people in their 20s are not getting married and they're not really progressing in, in the traditional sense because they can't afford to or they feel like they can't afford to. Yeah, well, I mean, I know even with childbirth, a lot of people don't have kids because they're freaking expensive. And I know, I mean, even us, like we have two kids and they're great, but if we were to have a third, that means I need to buy a new car and we, I mean, our house is, I guess, technically, like three kids can fit in here, but it's not set up for a third kid. Mm -hmm. And then I would have to pay for daycare and then diapers and... Oh, diapers. God. Yeah. So it does become, I mean, sure, maybe if we had tons and tons of money, I'd have a third, but given the circumstances, I'm not going to have a third. You know what I mean? Right. And so I think that is one aspect of the white picket fence is a family. But what do you do when you can't have a family and you can't buy a house? Well, and you know. Then you probably rebel against that dream. I feel like or the part of, of the, the white picket fence is a mom, a dad, and two kids. Yeah. Right? Four. Nuclear family, four. But the house that they're typically standing in front of, at least in like the picture i just generated in my head it's like a two-story 2,000 square foot house right yeah. with four people living in it it's just kind of it's just an interesting versus and versus um if you had an immigrant living their american dream right so we're talking first generation just got off the boat what are they willing to do they're hustling they're working they live uh, an entire family in an apartment. Well, and so you know, even they live on top of each other. The refugees you know? that I had met and worked with with Refugee Language Project, I mean, so for example, one family, the mom would wake up, I, I'm so early because she would still cook food for like breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and have to do it before her husband went to work because she would pack him like a traditional rice lunch. And have to have dinner going because she's going to go to work. And have their kids' lunch lunches packed and whatnot. And I know one time I was talking to her and I kind of said, like, man, don't you get tired of that? Like, aren't you tired? And she was like, no. What do you mean? Like, I get to I get to make food for my family. And I, I get to go to work. And my husband gets to go to work. And we get to, like, have a house. This is great. You know? There is almost no optics when, like, if you were to ask, is that, was that Nyong? That was, yeah. Yeah, and so if you were to ask her, 
um, what her ver- version or vision of the American dream, she probably would have said, we're living it. Yeah, I don't think she... We're working our asses off, and we're doing all this stuff, uh, but, like, we're buying nicer stuff. Like, her kids, we're getting to go to school, and we're gonna have opportunity, and it was almost like, you know, she doesn't have to have that white picket fence or, or, like, a big house, but she almost like with the knowledge that her kids are going to have a crack at that. You know? Yeah, but I even think that one aspect of the white picket fence is that there is a facade. Like with the barrier of the fence, it is literally like a barrier of the true image. Mm. Because again, if you think of like Leave it to Beaver or anything like, or even a dad who's working a great job with, you know, free health care, there's always cracks. And that means that dad's probably gone all the time, or the kids are probably off smoking pot, or you know. Is then the trope of like almost the seventies and the eighties of this like fallen suburbs, right? Like, yeah. Um, the kids are not all right by the offspring, yeah. you know. Like I think of like that kind of like when we were young, it was like man, nothing could go wrong, everything was perfect. Everybody, you know, we were surrounded by adults, and it's almost like the adults just stopped functioning, you know? Well, and so, like, for example, my friend that was discussing, Nyong, I don't think she cared to put up a facade. You know what I mean? Like, her house was taken care of, but there was no... She had no... What am I trying to think of? She didn't care to make it fit in to what the societal ideal was. Like a conformity. Yeah, it was, hey, I'm going to make my house like clean and look nice because I care about like my house, but I'm not going to try to make it look a certain way so that other people will think I'm doing well. Right. Because she was doing well. Yeah, she didn't she, care. Well, she knows what not doing well is because yeah. she had previously experienced that. Yeah. So now it's like you can't almost can't go to her and tell her, "Hey, you're miserable." Well, what if I thinking? probably did go to her and say, "Hey, you know what you need to do? Like this brick color is, uh, you know, outdated. So really, to show the world you're making it, you need to have it painted white, and you need to put up shutters, and you need to, you know, get pots and put plants in them." She'd probably be like, "Why? That's silly." Like it just, you know, she didn't grow up with it in the right. same way we did. Or she would already, she would probably, now this is just going out on a limb, she would probably have things that she was already doing to her house that signified that she was caring about it, right? Well, she had a huge garden in the back. Right. That exactly. she, like, she had she food. Grew. She grew her own food and yes. would use it. And they were all, like, Asian vegetables and whatnot because she wanted to have her own food. Right. So, I mean, yeah, it is kind and of seeing like that. That is one thing I was wanting to get into it. And um, actually, here, we'll come back to this. We're going to take a quick break because I got to move the water. Okay. Okay. And we are back. Uh, had to take a quick break to move the water in the garden as we were talking about uh, Nyong's garden. Oh, remind you, you had to go move the garden. water. I was like, dang, I got to move some water. What am I thinking? Which, subsequently, you need to put a fence around. Which, subsequently, I do need <laughs> to put a fence around for different reasons. Uh, but one of the other things that got me thinking about that was, uh, and there, there's actually, oh, man, I'm going to go blank on his name now. I'm going to have to look up his name. Um but there is a uh, a garden. There's a guy who built his entire brand around being a urban gardener. So the guy's name was Curtis Stone. I'm entering this in after the episode and editing because I couldn't find the epi- the guy in the in the middle of the episode. But his name's Curtis Stone. His uh, YouTube channel is Off Grid with Curtis Stone. He has some really cool stuff, some really interesting urban garden stuff. Um, Recently, he's gotten a little bit more into completely off-grid living. Like, he built this completely off-grid homestead up in the mountains with greenhouses and 
solar panels and all and all this different stuff uh, to be completely off grid. But anyway, his name is uh, Curtis Stone, and um, if you go to his YouTube channel, you'll probably have to look back in the videos, but you'll see he's got a whole bunch of uh, farm tours. That's really where I got to watching him a lot was he did a lot of farm tours with urban gardeners and uh, different ways of implementing the, the urban urban farm. So the, the whole idea here was just talking about how turning, uh, I think we talk about it here in just a second in the episode, but just uh, how you can take your, you know, uh, grass, your, your yard, and uh, actually turn it into something else instead of just buying into the conventions of like what a yard is supposed to be. So uh, anyway, sorry for this uh, quick little interruption into the episode, and I uh, hope you're enjoying and uh, enjoy the rest of uh, said episode. You know, we spend so much time and so much effort on things that are not investments. They, they'll never, like, pay you back or, like, come back to you in money. Like, there is an aspect of having a beautiful house that is an investment, and if you really take care oh, of the yeah, house. Oh, yeah, real estate. Like, you know. Um, but what I'm saying is, you know, you have this big green yard. That's just sitting there. And not only is it just sitting there, but then you actually like fence it off so that a kid can't even accidentally play on the grass. Yeah. You know, it's the... It, oh, I was just going to say, which for a lot of people, if you're in an HOA you don't even get a say in it, which is kind of crazy. Because I did actually see, this was just online somewhere, but it was a lady talking about how she wanted to do something different with her grass and have it more landscaped to be more, um, I don't native. know. Native, yeah. And her HOA would not let her. Right. Because it has to look a certain way because that's the whole point. Is It's all about the looks. Right. It's completely aesthetic. Yeah. And that's why you live in an HOA is because... Everything's going to look nice. Yeah, you want it to make sure that you maintain, you know, a certain uh, a certain element to that. Um, you know, you say, talking about HOAs, um, in Taylor, Mississippi, uh, I think it was in the 50s. I didn't write down the date. But there was a 64-acre development, and it was kind of, they offered the white picket fence as an add-on to the house. So I could have a house built and it's like, Oh, and for an extra, I'm making up a number for an extra $600. Would you like to have a white picket fence in front? Ooh. Um, well, yeah, let's go ahead and do that. I think right? it was before the fifties. I know it was, I'm saying, but then this specific development, oh, okay. I'm saying you had the option of an add-on yeah, to have right. the white picket fence in your house. So every house that had the white picket fence was signifying that they had enough money for to the add-on, add right? It's yeah. like, yeah, you know, whatever. Just do whatever you need. Um, I can pay for it, you know? Yeah. Versus, ooh, we're getting a little tight on this budget, right? Like, you better leave that the white picket fence out, you know? Well, heck, the way I always think is, you know what? I'll come back later and I'll just put that in myself. But then that's not the same thing. It's not the same yeah. thing, right? It's not an HOA <laughs> approved, approved, yeah. or you know, s uh, standardized maybe. But uh, I did think that was interesting because with the HOA offering it, or with uh, the home builder, right, the developer of the neighborhood offering it, it's a it's a homogenizing factor, right? So like. Um, I'm trying to think of the neighborhood in Amarillo. There's a couple of neighborhoods in Amarillo where you like developers threw all the houses up in like one explosion. Hmm. I think right there, like next to the the park, neck uh, which park is that? Southwest Park. Um, that neighborhood off the the uh, south side of it. Gosh, I'm just drawing a blank, but that's fine. Keep okay, going. you know, anyway, there's these little explosions of neighborhoods in Amarillo where they were done in a chunk. Well, even right? in Bushland, where I grew up, like the tile floor, every house had the same tile floor. Right, right, And right. we all had the same countertops. Yeah, so, yeah, you that's, know. that's what I mean. And, and 
uh, you know, a lot of the houses, if you're trained to look at the houses, you can tell a difference. Oh, yeah. Right? If, like, you look at those houses every day, you can be like, oh, I like that one better than that one because of this. Or, you know, I like this one better than this one because of this. Whereas if I just look at that same those same three houses, I'm like, dude, those are the exact same house, right? I don't see any difference. Well, I guess now, like in Bushland, it was a builder who built several houses, and so he had just had this material that he used. So, yeah, the, all the houses still have the same tile and the same carpet and whatnot. But I know of a lot of the communities now where, like, if you build a home or, you know, you work with the builder, you get, like, this or that, this or that, this or that. It's all spec. Yeah, so everything like you get a choice, but so but there may be three choices. So it's each like, of the houses will differ somewhat. Blue eight by eight tile or white eight by eight tile. It's like, well, we could put your front door here or here. Right. Your garage door can be here or here. And if you're the one making that decision, it might seem like a really big difference, right? Like, man, I chose to have my house well, on yeah, the right I'm... side, not the left side. Yeah. You know, but if I'm just looking at it and I don't know the significance of, you know, the, maybe you could go so far as to call it the signified, like I don't know it, it doesn't mean as much to me. It's not as valuable to me. You know, it doesn't mean this, it carry the same weight or whatever. Um, that That's just one thing that I thought was kind of interesting about the, uh, you know, it, that it was an add-on. Which is almost like a way of signifying to the neighborhood, like, hey. Well, I think this gets into the idea of the American rat race as well. Of It's not just that you have made it to middle class and therefore you have a white picket fence. It's that you are now chasing this picket fence. You're chasing the extra money so that you can have a picket fence. Well, and it's fence. almost like this idealized life, right? It's like a, a plug and play, right? If you get to the the white picket fence, well, it's like, do you have a new car? Well, does your wife have a yeah. new car? Well, y'all both have new cars and you have white picket fence and you have a nice house, but did you vacation in... Yeah, and it's all artificial. Yeah. None of it has real substance. It's all artificially valued. But it is where the term keeping up with the Joneses... <laughs> keeping up with the Kardashians which is, is what I now think now. Been, yeah. <laughs> yeah, which is uh, an idea that originated in the 50s, but then the keeping up with the Kardashians redefined what the Joneses were. Yeah, which is very much... Uh, working for artificial things in order to show your status. Exactly. Well, they nailed it on the head. Yeah. When they invoked that symbology with their name of keeping up with the impossible to attain dream. That and see, this is the thing is like to me, the American dream has always felt hollow to me. It's always seemed hollow. Like whenever I saw the American dream. And now, granted, uh, I didn't necessarily come from like the, you know, the loftiest of middle classes, right? I was probably uh, on the bottom end of the of the middle class, if if I was in the middle class at all. I don't know what the uh, what the stratification actually was. I felt like I was middle class, you know. Who knows? Um, but whenever I viewed it, it always felt hollow, like you know, the Pleasantville um, yeah. horror aspect of of the um, of the white picket fence right it was almost this uh zombie um you know zombie horror film well it's interesting because i think that the american dream for most people boils down to upward mobility so even like immigrants who come over it's upward mobility you can you can do something else with your life right and i think that is good, and it, that's why... Well, this is... I would delineate. I would say that that is what the American dream is, right? Yeah. But... I think that the I, that the white picket fence might be, in a sense, like, almost uh, a mutation of Well, that's American what I was going dream. to say, is that while upward mobility in and of itself is good... It's beautiful. It has become upward mobility simply for the sake of upward mobility 
for the material things, for the status. Right. And obviously that's not for everybody. I think that's why they say like those who are in the rat race, because there are those who play the game and those who step out of it. Right. And so you don't have to be in it, but I think it's just, that's the difference is I don't think it's wrong to want upper mobility. I don't, I don't think that's wrong at all. No. If you want to say, Hey, I want to be able to pay for my kid's college. No, I would actually that's great. Let me try to, let me try to like suss this out and this might not go anywhere, but I'm trying. It's like, I get to like let's say I now have the house of my dreams, right? I've I've financially become stable enough to have the house of my dreams. Well, that house doesn't have a white picket fence. So I'm going to put a white picket fence on it. Well, now I don't have a a Escalade in the driveway. So I need to get that, right? And so in in a sense you're not necessarily moving up anymore. You're almost like padding, yes. padding your So I think we've discussed this before, but like in Downton Abbey, I think that's a good example where, um, you know, the staff was working for the family, right? right? Like the family had butlers and cooks and maids and, you know, a full staff working for them. Who was going to uphold the class system the most? The, cl- the working class in the house. The servant. The servant. Because they're not everyday servants. They're like royal servants. Right. So they are going to make sure that they, it's known that they are royal servants. Because they benefit from that. It's like the field servant versus the house servant. Yes. Like in the American South. And so I think with with the middle class, for example. I who, should say slave. It's like. Servant. Ser- I should say slave. Oh, yeah. In the American South, it was the house slave or the field slave. I say servant, and that's a little bit too nice of a term, I think. For yeah, treated. that makes sense. So the middle class wants to be middle class because it means they're not lower class. Mm. And they'll never be upper Which class. Which is the bourgeoisie, right? In the uh, in the communist yeah. like, hierarchy, the bourgeoisie is not the elites because the, I mean the elites for the most part especially even now are unattainable for the average person right yeah. like I am never going to be a billionaire right but I can be upper middle class that is attainable for me so I'm going to make sure that I can prove to the world that I've achieved that and that's you know they say even like with uh, designer purses right like the true elite are not buying designer purses they're having custom purses or what? Yeah, they're not buying Louis Vuitton or whatnot. They're having people hand them custom-made bags and whatnot. Right. But then it's the middle class that buys these brands to show that they can afford the brands to look like they're upper middle, like upper class. Right. So all it is is now an imitation game. But the difference is that the elite can afford all that stuff, and the middle class is having to put on airs to show that they can. Right. Or even if they can't afford it, they're spending all their money on that as opposed to something else. Well, that's what I was going to say is it's – there's an aspect of it like that I love about the American dream and the American narrative and the American story is that, hey, you can come over here as an African slave and rise. Well, like the book I just read. Yeah. Angela's Ashes by Frank McCourt, which yeah. is based on his true life. He can be an Irish. He was scum. in Irish poverty. Um and ended up, you know, when he was like twenty, he came over to America and made it. And now not to say he did not have to work hard and did not struggle for many, many years. But I mean then ultimately he became a teacher, which was his dream. He became a teacher with no high school education even. But he could become a teacher, and then his ultimate dream then was to become a writer, which he succeeded. And then his book became a movie. I mean, it's just – that's beautiful. Oh, yeah. And so that's that's the aspect of the American dream that I love and that I hope endures, you know, beyond even America, right? You know, it's like – this spot where you can come and it's like just, against all odds. Well, it's literally just it. a matter of like you willing it, right? Mm-hmm. Are you willing to make this happen? And if you're willing, it will happen. You can make it happen, right? Like this is the land of opportunity. But the white picket fence to me almost signifies a bastardization of that, right? It almost like signifies more of like a bureaucratic 
I think of like Washington DC, right? This, yeah. This spot where all these people have these cush, um, like hegemonic jobs, almost like maintaining the status quo. I think very much of the white picket fence America was a marketing campaign, right? And like, they was it was very specific like hey how about how about instead of us showing the the normal american citizen as having a f- garden right their entire front yard is a garden and they've got chickens running around and all this and they they're like no how about we show them a house that has no use to it none of the plants are edible you know, really, you don't even live in the house. You respect the house. You keep it clean, right? Yeah. Everything's about the house. And then they demonize rural life, right? They make poor people. Poor people are the ones with chickens running around or garden or, yeah. you know, this and stuff. And So it's just kind of interesting to me, like, the aspect of it that how much of it was an advertising ploy to really uh, neuter the middle class, right? It's like, how about we get them caring about all this materialistic stuff and get it to yeah. where they're not building communities and they're not, not building... investing, whether it's financially or just in their communities or in other people. It's instead they're putting their money on material things that will diminish. Right. And it's kind of funny just back on the book because after he comes to America, this is years later, he ends up meeting this girl who he falls in love with and she's this beautiful blonde from Brooklyn and like to him she is his American dream right like she's blonde and she's got perfect teeth and she grew up well off and they end up getting married and and they were married for a few years but then that's what he said he's like come to find out like someone from the Irish slums doesn't really have that much in common with someone who grew up in Brooklyn and was well off because she wanted him to go to parties and make small talk and care about what the color of the house was or, you know, and he's like, I don't, this is foreign to me. I've never cared. I don't I know why like, I should care. I feel like uh, it's a little bit of the cliche or the stereotype of like the soldier who comes back from war, you know, and it's like he saw, maybe he saw his buddy get shot and had like his final words with his buddy as he was dying or something. And then now he's having to like wait on the phone for 30 minutes to talk to somebody about his health insurance or some bullshit, yeah. right? And, and it just sit- feels also made up. And it and feels so trivial arbitrary. and made up and arbitrary, right? And like it makes you feel like, man, what's even the point of any of this, any of this garbage, you know? Yeah. And I do think that that is, you know, I, I do feel like we are in the midst of an American awakening, like a reawakening. Um, I've heard it called the Great Resignation. Yeah. Have you heard that term? I have. You know, and it's just basically, uh, it really made me think of the novel Atlas Shrugged. Which I've I, not read. You haven't so, read that? No. Okay, well, That's on I my list. And I don't want to ruin it. Don't for ruin you. it for me. Or no. the rest of our listeners. Damn, babe. Sorry. I, you didn't was, tell me to read was, it to prepare for this. I mean, this. I know I wasn't really planning on it, but that would have been a perfect. So for people who have I read, can walk out of the room for a minute if you need to discuss no, it. No, no. Um, for people who have read Atlas Shrugged, they know exactly what I'm talking about with okay. the great resignation. Okay. People who haven't read it yet, read it. I mean, come on. I know, I know. It's on my Get list. Get it together. You know, and ran like very important author, but I think um, it's just interesting to me that you know the American dream, like it has different iterations, right? And like there is the pioneer American, right? That represents the like, hey, we're gonna load everything up in a wagon with wooden wheels. And we're going to like roll this bitch as far as it goes. And then wherever it stops, we'll just like start growing food there, I guess. You know? Yep. <laughs> like, I mean, you're Gold like, house. thinking about those Americans, it's like, well, that was a different 
that was a different American dream, right? It was, yeah. And I mean, you could argue that the very first American dream, now granted, there was uh, the Revolutionary War was mostly about taxation, right? It's about rich people staying rich. Uh, that's a different topic. But, you know, I would say that the first people that came to America, they were all fleeing religious persecution. Like, they were all like, hey, there's there's freedom to believe what I want to believe in America, right? Mm-hmm. And so if you think about it that way, now granted you had the Native Americans who were completely trashed on, so I would never say that they were the first, maybe maybe the first symbolic Americans of like modernity, right? A lot of them were people that were uh, bold individuals trying to carve out their own bit of production, in my opinion. It's probably production-based, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, versus the American dream of the white picket fence, which is like completely facade, like it's completely symbolic. Yeah. You know? That so. makes sense. Well, I guess we can wrap it up. You got anything else to say? I did, and I just lost it, so I, know. I guess not. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll have to tell the listeners, it is 922, um, and we have been busy lately. We have this been might busy. be a good time to transition into like, the announcements and you know we can do like a quick little wrap up and some announcements but you know we have been busy uh it feels like almost every four days off that i've had recently we've been go 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 we've had uh this month i guess the boys have been out they get out of school this month or last month last month last month right at the end but we've had uh, we went to uh, nasa yeah i was out of town and yeah. then we went to Houston to go see NASA. We went to Galveston to the beach. Man, I feel, we did something else in there too. Did I take the boys to Amarillo. No, that was, that was a long time during ago. school. We went yeah. somewhere else. I don't remember. I feel like it's been just boom, boom, the boom. Zoo. We did. Yeah, well, I we had friends coming out, to town. Smash my face into oh, a. Jeez, yeah. What? Oh yeah. Oh. I don't know. I mean, yeah, I we were at the we were, we were at the hold your breath or at do, the I guess. at the hippo. At the hippo exhibit, <laughs> and um, it was like a kind of a series of hold my breath, breathe to hold my breath, hold my breath, put you know, I think I uh, stimulated my vagus nerve and I ended up passing out. And I think I would have been fine had I not face planted into the the wall, the hippo wall, like yeah. the glass, the glass. <laughs> yeah. And so, like, I end up waking up, laying on my back, like looking up at you know, my lovely wife <laughs> freaking and, out. And, uh, and you know, our friends that we were at the, at the zoo with, um, after everything just bashed my head into the wall, not even knowing like what happened. And I get up, you know, bit my tongue. It was terrible. But anyway, all that to say, we've been very busy. Yeah. Uh, on top of like the garden and everything. Like garden, and, house projects, then other family projects where they need your and help. And it's just and... like the summer we're trying to cram. I feel like I feel like the summer is just a like time. Well, for and court. the kids are just home every day, Hang, so you oh, don't really get a reprieve from. There's that. no reprieve. They're in your business. I love them. I love but them. Too. Goodness gracious, and they're beautiful. They they're are beautiful little. Babies. And they're not really taking naps anymore, so no. they have quiet time. But the quiet time still consists of mom, mom, mom. Can I have a snack yet? Can we watch and TV? so, like, even done? this episode, we're we've been wanting to record this for. I would say five or six days mm-hmm. and it's just like, it's hard to find time to, to cram it in. Well, yeah. Cause with them being out of school, they're just going to always be in the background. They're just always around. Except for this one night. Except for tonight. We got the in-laws to keep them and we, we threw down a quick recording. All that to say, we're still planning on doing another episode this month coffee with the cure lease we'll see if we can get it done that one will be uh i mean this one was pretty off the hip i feel like yeah you know? we did it less scripted and more just discussing yeah it. but that one is really going to be off the hip I, I feel like that one's going to be uh kind of you know who knows we might talk about some current events and might talk about uh some ufos what? i remember i was going to say earlier sorry oh, go ahead and say it <laughs> Well, it was just because you were talking about the current state of things and Alice Shrugged and whatnot. And all I was going to say is I remember Russell Brand talking about COVID and how during COVID everyone was just saying, let's get back to normal. 
And he said, no, like, this is the best opportunity we've ever had to reconsider what we were doing. What a wake-up call, right? And all we're saying is let's get back to normal. Which, I mean, it was a wake-up call for us. I mean, 2020 is the reason that we moved down to the farm. Yeah. So, that was like sorry, really you can the continue push, back. The push we needed. No, I mean, that's – I think that that is uh, a brilliant point, you know. Like, I was talking about the great resignation, right, um, of people who are just like, I'm not going to play the game anymore, right? I'm not going to mm-hmm. buy into the narrative and – I feel like having a white picket fence or a house with a white picket fence is a little bit of like, hey, guys, I'm just here to blend in. I'm part of the team, right? I'll fly. Which flag are we flying this week? Okay, I'll fly that flag. I'm, I'm part of the team, right? Just, you know, um, nothing to see here. Just, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and it is just kind of interesting that that in conjunction with the American individual, right? So, like, there is an aspect of, hey, nothing to see here. I'm just here to blend in. I'm like everybody else. But it's also like, no, you're a single nuclear family within your white picket fence and you're an you're an individual. Yeah. So there's like this group, like you're in a group by being an individual. It's yeah. kind of weird. I'm not exactly sure if that if that pans out. Sure. Yeah, it works you know for what now. I'm saying? Okay. For now. I follow. So, um, hopefully by the time that this podcast is posted, we will have uh, an email list. That's my next goal, is I'm going to have an email list, and you are going to be able to put your email on it. And the emails will be announcements of shows, when we post shows, and maybe like one other email a month of just like a letter to the reader. What? Oh, nothing. I'm just saying, like, this is kind of ambitious for us. It, well, really, it'll just be a place to post the podcast, right? That would be like, good, yeah. My main thing is I want people who um, are somewhat interested in the podcast to at least be able to be notified that there's a new podcast. Hopefully it happens in their pod reader or their pod, you know, pod whatever. Uh, pod pooler. But um, also, if you would... Uh, like this episode, comment on it within whatever uh, app you're listening, or share it. Um, and by share, I mean like a social media share would be cool. <laughs> yeah. Word of mouth is great too. But word of mouth is probably we'll better. We'll take anything. Word of mouth is probably better. It's probably a more significant you know, like, hey, I listen to this podcast, and I think you should listen but to it. But the ratings would be nice. The ratings would be nice. That would be like if you're like, wow, you really want to impress us. And then throw that five-star yeah. five rating. We would really rating. like you. That would be big. That would mean a lot to us. And I'm going to try to become more prominent on Twitter. Okay. All right. Set them, set them goals, babe. I'm setting some, some social goals. But I feel like I've never really been able to focus on one. I'll probably still post like videos and pictures to Instagram. But then like I wanted to start hitting Twitter and and see if I can. Because I really want to make some connections. I want to talk to some people. You know, like I want to have people on the on the podcast um, that are substantial people. Yeah. You choose Twitter right as it's going down in flames. But is it going down in flames? I, think I feel it's, like it's actually on the upswing. Like, I don't know where it's going to go. I do think it's no, in a bit of I a... I think you were talking about mythology earlier. Yeah. Twitter will exist just from the mythological... It will exist. I just don't know in what capacity just yet. I'm waiting to see how it all plays out. Uh, I think it, I think it's... Um, maybe it, it's uh, the, dead cat, the dead cat bounce is what we're experiencing. Maybe. We'll see. You know, it's been trending With down. all of the apps, really. I mean, with all social media. The thing but that's, is, that's a topic for another episode. That too. is a topic for another. Maybe episode. for our coffee with the cure release. Yeah, we might be able, we might be talking social medias, because what was that episode with Rob Lowe? Rob Lowe's podcast. He had Pin Badgley on. Yes. And in that, we were driving. I guess we were driving through Houston. I had just woken up from a nap. Me and Shannon got in a little fight because she didn't know where she was going. Oops. You were napping, and I was trying to drive through traffic. Literally, and I had rain. slept like two hours the and night before. And try to navigate all by myself. But she had already made a wrong tr- like turn, and that's what woke me up. Is she was yelling about making a wrong turn. No, I just went on a different turn than my parents did. 
So it wasn't the wrong turn. It was the phone. I anyway, she my phone. yelled. <laughs> she yelled, woke me up, and then I came out of it, and then I was like groggy, but I went in and started listening to the podcast. And one of the things that was really interesting to me in the episode that kind of like sparked my curiosity was they started talking so much trash on social media. And both of them were kind of like real disparaging about social media. And I was thinking, it's one of the things I like to play a lot with people, especially if I'm talking politics, right? It's like, okay, you're right. I might be wrong about this or my view might lead to these problems. But do you not also acknowledge that there are currently problems, right? So it's almost like you can't argue against a possibility, if you're not willing to acknowledge that the current system is actually broken as well. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Well, what was really interesting is they were talking about like social media, almost like it was a fad and not like it had completely changed everything. Right. Like media, old media is gone. Newspapers are gone. Fox news, CNN, unless you're a boomer, you don't watch it really, or like believe it, you know? Yeah. And so really the only media that will exist from here on out is a social type of media. Yeah, it's just evolving, and I don't think we know where it is going next. It's evolving in a way that we probably won't be able to – like we were, we've, we've talked about this before because you grew up on MySpace. Yeah. And um, I never really got MySpace because I didn't understand like coding, which there's not really any coding in it, but like to no, build your web. Tumblr. Well, like to build your website and stuff, there was like some, it wasn't like click and click and plug, you know, like there was a little bit to getting the backgrounds and and doing different stuff. And I was never that interested in it. Um, But the people who were interested in that culture and learned that culture, you know, it, it definitely means something to them. But they were able to look at, like you were able to look at a MySpace profile and see things that I couldn't see because I didn't understand how MySpace worked, right? And so you could yeah. see like, oh, well, here's the – what's important is that they put this is their best friend and it's different than their girlfriend and, they, oh, and they've yeah. got their top five. Whether got, someone put their like boyfriend and girlfriend above their best friend right. or not. And like so like little subtle things, right? Uh, yeah. But it's only way – like the only way you see the subtlety is if you know the culture around it. You know, if you know the culture with it and I feel like the social social media that we've seen was like not even my space. Right. It was like uh, whatever is being generated is going to be so foreign to us. Yeah. That it'll be like I was with my space whenever I first saw it. It's just not which is funny because I was actually on grab dot com before I was on my space. Did you ever hear of Grab? No. I was in middle school and it was it was a social platform where I had like my profile picture and everything and you had friends, but basically you just played computer games on it. So but I would upload all my photos on it and whatnot, and then after like Grab kinda died out, then it went to MySpace. Isn't that crazy to like imagine the dark, deep recesses of the internet and like the pictures that exist oh i know i've always wondered if i could get on and see where the pictures were even on my myspace i I can't remember if i actually deactivated my myspace or not but yeah i mean all those photos that are out there oh yeah and they're in the computer forever forever uh and they'll probably like be in these like like i said like these dark corners it's one of uh the ideas i've always wanted to play with is this uh digital archaeologist yeah you know like where you actually dig through these like old ancient whatevers it's like oh you know you find these like little worlds that you almost need a third eye view to be able to even see you know the um what do they call it like almost like a fibonacci sequence but like um something that shows that you can see from above that you can't see from ground level you know what i'm saying yeah i do almost I like just... a crop circle right if you're standing yeah. in the middle of a crop circle you're like wow it looks kind of weird but if you see it from above yeah you're like oh it's a pattern 
you know, I always, I always think it's going to be like that, you know, with the social media, oh all, all the data that's been collected. Well, anyway, um, thank y'all for listening to this episode. Uh, hopefully, I don't really see any way that our life is going to slow down in the future. Well, routine helps and summer has But no hopefully we'll get in routine yeah. and we'll be able to get episodes out a lot more consistent and a lot yeah. more. Hey, we've been putting one out a month. We have, been, we have been putting out consistent content. Uh, we just... I... I think that both of us want to grow this thing, yes. you know, and so we we're we're trying to do our best to figure out how we can do it. Yes. Anyway, thank y'all for listening, and until next time, peace. Goodbye.